Hello, and welcome to another episode of Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Amanda Comer. I'm a nurse practitioner and the system director for advanced practice providers. And, and today I'm really excited to have on Dr. John Beery. John, welcome to the program. Hi, good afternoon. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're doing with Baptist? Yes, yes, absolutely. So I am. Uh, I was recruited to be the uh, the first chair of the osteopathic principles and practice uh, department at the new College of Osteopathic Medicine that will be uh, part of Baptist Health Science University. Um, my uh, I'm I'm bo- currently board certified in osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine. Uh, which, uh, you know, is is a specialty uh, of using osteopathic manipulative treatment in uh, the care of, of musculoskeletal injuries and uh, to augment uh, the care, um, or I should say the, the uh, sorry, no, the, the musculoskeletal manifestation of systemic disease. So uh, using uh, OMT to augment um, standard or um, conventional care um, in augmenting and just using the body to try to uh, make make the care provided a little bit uh, better. Um, I, I I grew up in an osteopathic family in um, in Northwest Ohio, and I uh, went to the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine in Fort Worth, Texas. I then entered the Navy and did a, a family practice uh, residency, an ACGME sponsored residency. And uh, but I used osteopathic manipulative treatment in the care of most of my patients. And then I also uh, helped uh, a lot of my colleagues who didn't have that skill set. I spent 20 years in the Navy. I did family medicine and then I did a sports medicine fellowship. Uh, I was the specialty leader for all of sports medicine, primary care sports medicine in the Navy uh, towards the end of my career. So I I had, you know, kind of a, a nice um, administrative uh, role in in managing the community, which was a lot of fun. I got the you know high level um, observation of how the Navy worked, uh, Navy medicine worked. And then uh, when I retired from the Navy, I uh, joined the faculty at the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine in Dothan, Alabama. Uh, realized I didn't know quite enough of the depth of that you needed to know to teach osteopathic manipulative treatment. So I um, I, I struggled a little bit while teaching because I thought, oh, I have these great clinical skills that I've learned throughout my my career, but I forgot that first-year medical students don't have any clinical understanding, so it's really hard to tell them how to do things ex- expeditiously in clinic when they don't even know how to do it the hard way or the long way. And uh, so I, uh, as I realized that I, I need a little more training. So I went back and I did another residency uh, at age 50, which was a challenge uh, to go back and do that. Uh, But I went back and did another residency in osteopathic manipulative treatment. Uh, The O&MM program at at, uh, VCOM in Blacksburg, Virginia. And uh, so I I made it through that program and was board eligible, took the board exams. And then uh, um, I, I had known Dr. Bell, who is the dean over at the new College of Osteopathic Medicine, and he, um, I've known him for a long time, um, he, he knew my dad, and uh, so uh, as as it 
as the idea was being floated and said, hey, we're going to do this, uh, he gave me a call and said, would you be interested? So I, I said, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm interested to talk. Let's talk. And um, uh, they invited me up for a visit. And I, I wasn't convinced. My wife wasn't convinced. But then we got here. We met the leadership at uh, Baptist Health Science University and we were sold. That's uh, that's a solid group of people. And they uh, they you know, we really liked uh, being in a Christian environment and that where we could we could talk about our faith openly and be able to share that with students, hopefully, and and uh, teach uh, the thing that I love to teach. And that's the osteopathic manipulative treatment. So I, I said, hey, this sounds like a great place. And my wife was like, yeah, I, I can see that's this is where you should be. And so here I am. Well, well, that is a great story. And you know, I really want to dive in and understand more what osteopathic manipulative treatment is. Or I'm, I'm going to shorten it to OMT because it, it is Perfect. quite a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I uh, I'm allopathically trained, and but I you know I did I do work a lot with DOs, um, but I still don't understand this OMT um, that that y'all use and so can you give us just a a broad overview of it and we'll dive into some more specific questions it's a it's a you you can use it in two ways you can use it as an augment to the standard approach um where you would you know you do take your history you take your physical uh routine physical that we all know how to do and then you add another layer to that in that you you palpate the spine but you're looking for things beyond just, uh, you know, the, the, what we're taught in physical exam. You know, is there a tactile fremitus? Is there, you know, cl- you know, is, is there, um, you know, standard excursion of the chest? Those are things that all of us do. But then I'm going to go in and I'm going to ask my students to to try to take pay attention to a little bit more and say, is are all of the spinous processes that you feel are they all symmetrical are they all spaced equally is there does one feel more prominent if one feels more prominent what else is going on in the tissue around that that you can appreciate does there seem to be a motion preference in the spine and these are subtle but they're not they're not super difficult to find it's it's with a little bit of uh training you can you can find these areas in the spine and you can apply it to the cervical spine to the to the rib cage to the upper extremities to the clavicles to the lower extremities and it's adding a little just just a subtle addition to what you're doing in your physical exam to what I'm adding to mine to find these areas of what I I would say is motion preference or you could look at it as motion restriction and then I will apply a uh, a counterforce basically i can either augment the motion that is the preferred motion if it will say rotating to the right i will rotate it further to the right and then i will let the uh you know the normal relaxation mechanisms that we all have talked about you know um stretch reflex the golgi tendon uh reflex those things to basically in a spinal cord mediated way relax the muscle and then i rotate back into uh the quote unquote normal or expected range of motion so i'm trying to build symmetry of motion as opposed to a motion preference or restriction 
Um, and so that's the one way you can do that. So if somebody comes in with, uh, you know, heart failure, uh, they're, they're being treated for heart failure. A lot of those folks also have a, you know, a hint of COPD. And so they, they got, you know, chest wall mechanics that are, that are out of whack. Well, I can do my routine exam, refill the prescriptions, decide, do we need to do different medications? But then I can run my hand up and down their back to see, are there ribs that are specifically not moving correctly or not moving well symmetrically? And then I can apply either a very simple technique to try to um, improve the motion. You know, obviously, once you have pretty significant disease, all we can do is kind of add a little bit of help. We're probably not going to completely reverse that that disease process, but we might make people feel better, you know, and it, I mean, if, if you're, you know, if you've got that dowager hump and you, you can't take a deep breath, um, if we can do a little something to help raise your diaphragm, open your chest a little bit, gosh, you feel better. You can take a deeper breath like you once could. And those are valuable things from the patient, A, thinking that we actually care about them, which I think everybody listening does care about their patients. But when you can, when they can leave the office and feel a little bit better uh, without before they stop at the pharmacy to get their prescription, I mean, what a what a real bonus that is to the care of the overall patient, not just the care of that disease state. And then you know, so that's one way we can augment. And then the other way is you can basically use the osteopathic screening and the and the exam to kind of drive all of your treatment. That's the way it was initially described when osteopathic medicine was first developed was it was really as an alternate to the uh, to the standard care of the day which was, you know, 1890s, right? 1880s, which wasn't the best uh healthcare at the time. Um there was a lot of guesswork and and um labeling of diseases that you know, they they we thought it was one thing, but then over time we've realized they were they were certainly different things. So, but at the time, the you know when when they were developing this hands-on approach, they identified areas of the spine, areas uh, other areas of the the body based on anatomic um, considerations. So based on nervous system innervation. Oh, you've got pain in the right lower quadrant. Well, where do the nerves that innervate the right lower quadrant come from, you know, the lower thoracic spine, um, you know, the autonomic innervation. So, oh, well, we've identified this motion preference that's always there when somebody comes in with this problem. If we correct the motion preference, does that affect the visceral problem? And they found that it did. So, you know, at that time, you know, they were anywhere from, you know, about 70% effective, we'll say, when treating patients that were otherwise described as non-treatable. And, uh, you know, but th- it was a long, slow approach, hands-on. So, you know, that approach maybe isn't the way to handle it now, but that certainly was an effective, a revolutionary kind of way of thinking about the care of, of visceral disease. Was, is there something in the, in, the, uh, in the systemic, you know, in the rest of the body that could be manifest that you could identify and then treat? And so that was very successful. And then science, you know, health, uh, medical science really took off uh, in the 1900s and um, uh, in the 20th century and and really just kind of, you know, supplanted a, a lot of that. And so um, a lot of our care now is, um, I would say, is 
arguably is using it for musculoskeletal conditions, back pain, neck pain, those kind of things. Uh, but still, it's it's looking for motion preferences. It's it's looking for um, restricted motion and trying to um, balance that out, make those those motions symmetrical. It's identifying subtle motion patterns and trying to balance those and using this hands-on approach of, of push-pull using, you know, um, isometric contractions uh, that are resisted in ways to try to improve that motion. Um, that, so that's kind of the, the general overview yeah. of, of the way you would approach it. And then sort of a an equation for those that are uh, science-minded, we all like the equations, and I'm guessing that's a fair number of folks in the group, but using that kind of host plus disease equals illness model, uh, that equation where most folks come in and they've, they're have they presenting with an illness of some sort. And, and most of our care is focused on eradication of the disease or at least management of the disease. Well, what happens when we don't when we when we we have limited effect on the disease, you know, the, uh, most people are like uh, I'm not quite sure where to go. And you know, the nice thing about having manual medicine or osteopathic manipulative treatment in your pocket is that I can go take one step over on the equation and I can focus on the host. I can e- evaluate their body in a slightly different way than than um, the standard approach, and I can identify things that might be uh, treatable that might then move the needle in the positive direction in managing that disease um, by, by, by focusing on the host. So that's, that's kind of another way that, that we look at it. And then probably the third uh, little equation or third predominance is that ma- majority of, I, I would say, routine medical care is the application of chemistry or biochemistry to physiology and the manual medicine approach or the OMT approach would be the application of physics to that same um, medical complaint. Um, if that, if any of those analogies, so those three are the kind of the ways that I, I describe it when I'm talking to people and, and most people kind of say, oh, that makes perfect sense or, oh, that makes perfect sense. This is all very interesting. Um, so are there any potential risk or contraindications for um, patients associated with OMT? Well, um, yes and no. <laughs> you know, it's one of those, it depends. It's like all the things when you get right. into clinical it, medicine, it depends. So certainly if somebody has, um, we'll say, atlanto-occipital um, instability, there are techniques that we would definitely not use on their neck but we could use the same technique type in another part of their body. So most everything is relative to the condition that's going on. And, and certainly, you know, in the training, we talk about, oh, well, we've got this, you know, uh, physical man, the body manifestation of, we'll say, cardiac disease. So then, you know, inevitably some wiseacre says, oh, well, I can use OMT to treat a heart attack. And you're like, uh, no, that's not appropriate. <laughs> Maybe in the 1800s, that might have been an answer, but today, no, it's not an answer. Um, after you've done your uh, catheterization or you used your thrombolytics to treat the patient, then maybe it is reasonable to go back and look at their thoracic uh, cage and, and their thoracic spine and their cervical spine and, and treat the whole person as a 
adjunctive type treatment, and then also to try to take away whatever environment was setting up the problem in the first place. But that's 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 sort of a a, a theoretical discussion, uh, you know, because that piece of it, the literature is is very um, uh, minimal right now. Okay. So I, I was did that looking. Help, did that help, or did that not quite answer your question? No, it did. That helped. Okay. Thank you. Sure. So I was, you know, looking up, you know, just in, in the literature about what OMT is, and it, it, it you know, one of the articles I found. Um, was a, it had a table in there of four different types of, uh, of treatment that are part of OMT, uh -huh. counter strain, muscle energy, soft tissue sure. therapy, and spinal manipulation. Is is that, are those, those, those right? Are, those are reasonable ways to um, characterize the techniques. Yes. Um, and, and with it, you know, counter strain is, is one sort of um, way of approaching it. And typically that, um, requires you to find the painful spot. And, and this is the most simple, um, I think, technique to teach anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, you find, like, I, I use this one on plantar fasciitis all the time. So you you find the medial calcaneal tubercle, you diagnose plantar fasciitis, and then you, basically, you try to shorten the plantar fascia. So mm -hmm. you, I keep my thumb on this spot, and I try to fold the foot around the medial calcaneal tubercle, which means I kind of, I, I pull a little um, uh, traction on the, the heel, just on the tissue. And so I'm, I'm kind of wrapping the, the, I'm pulling the heel up around the medial calcaneal tubercle, the, the fat pad and, and all the soft tissue. And then I'm taking the, the forefoot, not the toes, because if you roll the toes down, that hurts, but you just take the whole foot and you just kind of compress the, and wrap the foot around that sore spot, the pain goes away, often goes away. You hold it for 90 seconds is the textbook answer. And then you release the, the tissue back to its neutral position. And then you have the patient start moving the foot. And a large percentage of the time, their plantar fascia pain is either gone or significantly improved. A lot of times, like pain in all patients, you know, you get rid of one area and they, they something else hurts, right? So you, you can do yeah. counter strain all over the body and you don't have to necessarily have a specific muscle that you're trying to do. It's groups of muscles, it's positions. The, the points are all, all very specific, but the concept is very applicable. Um, for instance, I, I had a fellow that when I was in the Navy that he jumped off of a backhoe. Uh, he was standing on the tire and he went to step off. Well, he caught his toe on the tire and he ended up doing the splits, one foot up on the tire, one foot on the ground. So, um, and needless to say, his groin uh, really hurt uh, after that. Well, we found the most painful spot. I flexed the hip up around the point. The pain dissipated. I waited for 90 seconds. I, I extended his hip and the pain was gone. He got up off the table and he left the office and had no pain. And uh, I was like, holy cow, I can't, it, it was, it worked so well just using the the nervous system against itself. It, it's it's really, it's length tension within muscle that you're trying to balance. And then, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, I was just, um, yeah, I want to definitely go through all the different types of treatment that we discussed, but you, you mentioned soft tissue injuries or, um, you know, musculoskeletal disorders is kind of a, 
you know, mainstay of OMT. And, you know, we see sure. a lot of neck pain, back pain, shoulder pain, yep. et cetera, in clinic. And um, I would just curious to know your approach to somebody that came in maybe with an acute neck strain or acute low back pain. How, how do you evaluate those patients and and use these techniques? Well, um, like like everybody who's listening, I'm going to go through and I'm, I want to make sure they, they have no red flag symptoms in their history. I, 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 I can't miss, a, we, no, none of us can afford to miss a cauda equina syndrome. Uh, so we're going to make sure that, you know, we're not going to make sure we don't miss a metastatic prostate cancer. Uh, you know, so all the standard things that everybody in the room does when they're dealing with low back pain. Um, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to do a, a um, what I would consider to be a, a thorough physical exam to include, a, uh, you know, a neurologic exam, uh, straight leg raise, you know, looking for neural tension signs to, that might indicate an acute herniated disc. Um, and then um, and then I'm going to try to break down the the low back pain, particularly into a, a which structures might be pain generators. I'm going to try to identify discogenic pain, facetogenic pain, sacroiliac joint pain, ra radiating hip osteoarthritis type pain, and then I get into the myofascial structures, the the you know the Trevelyan trigger point type of things, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna be looking for the those motion preferences in the in the way that the sacroiliac joints are moving the way that the uh, uh uh the ilia is moving while they're walking and and then looking for uh strength and endurance uh differences from side to side in say a trendelenburg or a a stork test where i just want to know which structure is likely the pain generator and then as i treat people i'm going to find you know what we define uh the the, the diagnosis that DOs would use to apply osteopathic manipulative treatment to is somatic dysfunction. Not a great term, but that's the word that we have to characterize these motion abnormalities. And so when I identify that motion abnormality, I'm going to uh, diagnose that as somatic dysfunction, and then I'm going to apply one of those treatment modalities. And it it really depends on the patient. If I've got the 85-year-old um, woman of Northern European descent, I'm not going to use a thrust technique that might fracture a bone, a, a more of a myofascial release, or a counterstrain type of technique. But you get that same person, uh, but now they're a 25-year-old. Um, you know, I can use a thrust technique on that, and um, and sometimes quickly um relieve that or there's another technique called muscle energy uh that that's that's what we call it in the osteopathic profession and i think a lot of the physical therapists use that term as well and so you know you position towards the 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 area of restriction and then you have them activate their own musculoskeletal system to try to um remove the restriction in that um uh, in that area that is um that we've identified as having the restriction. And uh, and I know that's using restriction twice in the same sentence, which we're not supposed to do, but uh, forgive me, my English teachers. Um, but that's, you know, and, and so it's like all things in medicine, it's, it's variable to mm -hmm. the patient that comes in sort of, and then also sort of my, my preference and experience level with each technique type. And then, you know, it's interesting because, you know, patients, as everybody in the room knows, they um, uh, 
they forget their own story. And then as you're working on something, they're like, oh, yeah, remember when I, I fell that one time? And then you're like, oh. And so then you want to look at something more distant, you know, like they, they remember that they broke their ankle or that they that they had a, a fall. And ever since then, this has been a problem. And you're like, oh, well, th this isn't the problem. This is the victim. So let me go to that ankle that's still not quite right. And we'll try to remove the restriction there. And then sometimes you get a great deal of relief of their chief complaint by by treating that more uh, remote problem, particularly ankles. Ankles are, are a lot of trouble for people because we've all sprained them, rubbed some dirt on it, got back in there and played. And then, you know, 8,000 ankle sprains later, we our ankle flops around like it's not even attached. And yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I tore my plantar fascia a couple of years back. And after that healed, I developed ankle pain. And then after I fixed that, then I developed knee pain. And so it was just yep. all yep. connected. Yep. Yeah. Well, stand by because you know what's next in that chain. That's <laughs> the, my the low back. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. not. Yeah, that's that's the way. So but we'll get you in the get get you in the office. We'll get you on a table and we'll see if we can uh, help with that, too. So that's a that's a that's a great segue into this. So do you have any advice for patients or clinicians that are considering OMT as part of the treatment plan? Um, gosh, I would say um, if if you're I'd be happy to you know chat ahead of time if people want to call. But at the same time, I'm seeing patients down here in DeSoto at the um, uh, DeSoto Family Practice, uh, or no, I'm sorry, at South Haven Family Practice Clinic, and so I'm here one day a week. We've got, I've got two other OMM docs that are that just came on board at the com, and so we will have them in clinic as soon as the insurance companies say they will pay them. You know, which as we all know, that that can be a little bit of a, a, a an interesting process to deal with yeah. that. But as soon as they are on board, we'll have availability that is is should be pretty good. Uh, we pretty much almost five days a week, I would say, because we're doing some other things. We're going to probably not have full five day a week service just yet um, because we need some time for planning and, and work on uh, the curriculum at the at the com. And then also uh, we're interested in starting or we are planning to start an osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine residency program here out of this facility as well. So we'll be uh, so we definitely would be more than happy to take uh, consults. If you're not sure, send them. We'll we'll be happy to um, try to answer their question. Um, if you have a specific question, obviously you can ask us the specific question. But if you're like, hey, they have low back pain, we've worked everything up and it's just not helping. Uh, we tried physical therapy. They've had injections. We're happy to to try. So let's ask about that. Help. It's a good piece is you mentioned physical therapy earlier and I just yeah. want to be clear on what what OMT does in you know in excess of physical therapy and or, or vice versa you know what what do they do that y'all don't do so that we get the consults right and then um, if some patients are listening they're going to want to know you know right. what what about chiro you know going to see a chiropractor why wh right. what is what is everybody's scope right so um my our scope of practice as um, an osteopathic uh, physician is that I have I have a fully uh, I'm fully licensed and I'm uh, unrestricted, if you will, by the state board uh, for the practice of medicine. Um, a, and our our specialty is um, 
I would say it, it's it's all encompassing, but we typically don't take care of visceral disease. Like if somebody shows up and they have hypertension, we're going to likely refer them back to their primary. Okay. If somebody comes in and and they they seem like something's a little bit off metabolically, uh, I'm going to run some you know diagnostic labs to decide what is going on if 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 they don't have a primary and then if they you know come back and they have type 2 diabetes i'm going to refer them to a primary care doctor for um or primary care for evaluation or for full evaluation and then treatment of that medical condition uh just because it's you know it's like everything when you've once you've specialized in something you um you you forsake certain amounts of knowledge for depth of knowledge in another area. So even though I'm trained as a family physician, I haven't managed uh, diabetes in, in a long time. So I probably am not the best one to do it. Um, but uh, if they have a musculoskeletal condition, you know, I can work it up or I can refer re- refer back for uh, evaluation, uh, you know, through their primary. And so um, the way that I typically uh, ask physical therapists to help me in my care of the patient is that I ask them for more of the, I guess what what I would call the standard old fashioned physical therapy where I've kind of made a diagnosis that I wanna try to see if adding corrective exercises and strengthening, um, you know, mobility type of work, uh, they could be neural flossing. A lot of the things that physical therapists do and have always done for patients, that's what I'm going to be asking them to help me with those things, especially if there's a home exercise program that I need a little help with getting them to understand their corrective exercises. What I typically don't ask for is the standard evaluate and treat where mm. I, uh, you know, I'm going to ask probably for specific modalities and then um, uh, but and and I don't necessarily want the physical therapist to be doing manual medicine when I'm doing it too, because then they end up getting treated three or four times in a week and we can, you can overtreat just like anything we can overdo it. And so I, I typically prefer not to um, have three different people doing manual techniques on the same achy back, because sometimes it's not that it won't move. It's that it moves too much. And if we keep moving it, it just gets more sore. And so we, we don't want that necessarily to be the case. And then, you know, with with uh, with uh, um, chiropractic, uh, that is a, you know, it's a specialty where they focus on um, manual medicine as their their treatment modality. They're not full full scope physicians, so they don't typically do in, they they can't do injections. Some states will allow them to do acupuncture, and so they can do dry needling and and those type of things with the acupuncture needles. Um, And then they can use electrical stimulation and they can use some physical therapy modalities. Um, But uh, so when we're looking at them, we're we're looking at them from a fully trained physician perspective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I think that's the one of the key differences is that I'm looking at it as you're looking at it from a physician's perspective and thinking about the the whole of the patient, not just what I can affect. Whereas I think both of the other groups are limited in perspective and that may be upsetting. I apologize if that's upsetting to people, but, but that's the reality is that I've been trained to be a completely, you know, practicing physician. And so that's the approach that I take when I'm looking at their neuromusculoskeletal system. 
Well, let me throw one more out there. What about physical medicine and rehabilitation? That's especially. Yeah, that's um, they are focused. Uh, well, you know, and any any time I'm generalizing, right? Um, sure. So I, I'm I'm obviously gonna, you know probably don't represent it completely, um, and it depends on their training as well. So I certainly have several of my PM&R friends who are DOs, and they use a ton of OMT in their practice. Um, and then, but then, like a lot of things, they've uh, a lot of those folks have focused their practice into amputee care or okay. to um, uh, spine care and procedures. And so, um, um, and I, I hate to limit it to just musculoskeletal, but a generalist musculoskeletal perspective, because you could then ask, well, what, what about primary care sports medicine? Because I don't do surgery. They don't do surgery. Um, my docs yeah. will learn ultrasound and ultrasound guided injections. But again, the, the focus of my practice is going to be incorporating um, osteopathic manipulative treatment into the care that we that that everybody else would kind of you know if I do an injection I'm also going to do OMT if I'm going to send them to physical therapy I'm also going to do OMT I'm going to send them to the neurosurgeon I'm likely going to do OMT unless it's something that's unstable and acutely needs to be corrected then I'm not going to do OMT on uh, on that um, you know does that I don't know that's helpful those, yeah yeah, fuzzy no. questions it's hard to answer without stepping on somebody's toes and saying you know and this well, i don't do that and i oh yeah i'm trying to start a turf war is what i'm trying to do yeah no no <laughs> no I, I look at us as to be you know collaborative in as many ways as possible because all of my residents will rotate with all of those groups other than chiropractic we typically won't go to chiropractic to learn things uh however there are you know that profession has grown and is I would say uh, better than it it certainly used to be um, in the in, when it was originally developed. It, it is a I've been treated by many chiropractors in my career. I've worked with many chiropractors in the Navy. They um, we had a chiropractic program, and so it was uh, really good folks that really did did quality care of the patient. Uh, it's just that they're limited to manual medicine. That's the that's the scope of their practice. And so when it came to other things. Um, they had to refer back, and um, you know, there are things that I can do that that are within my scope, but I may I cho may choose to refer just because somebody else is better at it than me. Okay, so my questions are easier than Dr. Lancaster's. I, I want to see what what you think the future of OMT or the role that OMT will play in the future of healthcare. Oh well, I would love to see it. Um, grow again. You know, now that um, we've gotten through this ACGME AOA merger for the residency programs, we we're doing some some data collection on the the way that residency programs can incorporate this is the, a process called osteopathic recognition, and so it requires a a, a program director and and um, administrative support and curriculum to practice and use OMT in their in their training programs and it, it can be in any discipline you can apply this to because all disciplines there, there are are roles for manual medicine in every discipline um, because every every doctor every practitioner that that patients come into they may come in with high blood pressure and diabetes but uh, you know as you're reaching for the door they all have low back pain or neck pain or shoulder pain that they say oh by the way <laughs> And you're like, wait a second, I don't have time for that. But um, but it is. But, you know, like I said, you can apply 
uh, osteopathic manipulative diagnosis and treatment in a very quick and focused way in um, a regular a routine medical visit. Or you can do it, you know, the way I do, where I do a, a lengthy um, musculoskeletal physical exam, and and then I, you know, I try to find as many of these uh, little points that are throughout the body, and then treat all of those, and then and then see what the body does with being uh, balanced, uh, and see how it affects their pain, because uh, OMT doesn't really treat pain; it treats somatic dysfunction. And somatic dysfunction is something that we can, that any of us can identify, and then with a little bit of training, um, we we can apply um, some fundamentals to just that motion, and we can we can treat it. So I'm I'm very hopeful that as we we grow this, uh, more DOs and MDs are all interacting. That um, we have there there are a lot there's a lot more MDs than there are DOs, and but yet there are a lot more MDs who think with an osteopathic kind of way of thinking, and they just love doing manual techniques. And so it's, I mean, it really works out nicely when you can get people who are really interested in doing it to have access to the the information and the the skill set. So I'm hopeful that we can expand its use. Well, Dr. Barry, I, th- I think that's a great way to to end the show. I know I could ask you, you know, a hundred more questions because. Again, this is it's a pretty new topic to me, so we may have to, to bring you back on in the future. But uh, thanks again for, for for joining us today. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Right Care Baptist. Remember, we follow the link in the show notes. You can redeem this episode for receiving credit.